Section 3 of Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. Section 3 The Great Hatfield McCoy Feud, Part 2. Early on the following morning, the officers proceeded with their charges on the road to Pikeville, the county seat. Scarcely had they traveled half a mile when they were overtaken by Val Hatfield, the West Virginia Justice of the Peace, and Bad Lias Hatfield, brothers of the wounded Ellison. They demanded of the officers that they return with their prisoners into the magisterial district in which the fight had occurred to await the result of Ellison Hatfield's wounds. The officers complied with the demand. Randolph McCoy Sr. remonstrated, but was laughed at for his pains. He then started alone to Pikeville for the purpose of consulting with the authorities there. That was the last time he saw his three sons alive. After being turned back by Val and Bad Lias Hatfield, the prisoners were taken down the creek. At an old house there was a corn sled. Val directed the three brothers placed in it, and in that manner they were conveyed to Jerry Hatfield's house. Here Charles Carpenter, who together with Devil Ants and Cap Hatfield, Alex Messer, the three Mayhorn brothers, and a number of other outlaws, had joined Val Hatfield and the other officers at the old house procured ropes and securely trussed and bound the prisoners. In this condition they remained until they were murdered. At noon the crowd stopped at the Reverend Anderson Hatfield's for dinner. After the meal was over, Devil Ant stepped into the yard and there cried out, All who are friends of Hatfield fall into line. Most of those present did so from inclination or through fear. From there the prisoners were taken to the river and across into West Virginia to an old dilapidated schoolhouse. Here they lay tied upon the filthy floor. Heavily armed guards at all times stood sentinel over the doomed brothers. Cap and John's Hatfield, Devil Ants and his two brothers, Elias and Val Hatfield, Charles Carpenter, Joseph Murphy, Doc Mayhorn, Pliant Mayhorn, Selkirk McCoy and his two sons, Albert and L.D., Lark and Anderson Varney, Dan Witt, Sam Mayhorn, Alex Messer, John Witt, Elias Mounts, and many others remained at or about the schoolhouse awaiting news from the bedside of Ellison Hatfield. Along toward night arrived the mother of the unfortunate prisoners and the wife of Tolbert McCoy to plead with the jailers for the lives of the sons and husband. The pleadings of the grief-stricken women fell upon deaf ears. They had no other effect upon these hearts of stone than rough admonitions from Val Hatfield and others to shut up stop that damn noise we won't have no more of it night had fallen the women were told to leave and thrust from the house into the inky darkness it had been raining hard and the creeks were swollen 
wading streams drenched to the skin the miserable women felt their way through the dark stumbling and falling along the road or trail along about midnight they arrived at doc rutherford's house bruised shivering ill and shaking from exposure fatigue grief and terror they could travel no further and were taken in for the night morning came and again they hastened to the improvised prison of their loved ones there they were viciously taunted with the uselessness of their endeavor to obtain mercy they were told that if ellison hatfield died of his wounds the prisoners will be filled as full of holes as a sifter bottom along about two o'clock val hatfield curtly commanded mrs mccoy to leave the house and to return no more she pressed for the reason of this order and was told that her husband randolph was known to be at that moment attempting to assemble a crowd to rescue his sons of course you know sneered the heartless wretch if we are interfered with in the least them boys of yours will be the first to die mrs mccoy denied the truth of the report but her protestations were in vain the two women saw themselves compelled to abandon the utterly useless struggle to save their loved ones and departed it was the last time they saw them alive all along throughout their confinement the brothers had shown a brave spirit now they lost all hope of rescue as from hour to hour the band of enemies increased until a small army had assembled through the open door they saw them sitting or standing in groups some were idly playing cards others singing ribald songs or church hymns whichever struck their fancy all of them were drinking heavily they heard an animated discussion as to the manner of death they should be made to suffer in the event of ellison hatfield's death some had suggested hanging then one proposed that they make it a shooting match with live human beings for a target the idea was adopted by acclamation along in the afternoon of the ninth of august the third day since the wounding of ellison hatfield the assembled band was suddenly startled and every man brought to his feet by the sounds of a galloping horse instinctively they realized they were about to have news of ellison hatfield the stir among their guards had aroused the attention of the prisoners they easily guessed its portent it was not necessary to tell them that ellison hatfield was dead his corpse had been brought to the home of elias hatfield who together with a number of others that had been waiting at the bedside of the dying man now augmented the hatfield forces at the old schoolhouse a mock trial was had and sentence of death passed upon the three mccoy brothers these helpless hopeless creatures tied to one another like cattle about to be delivered to the slaughterhouse were now jeered joked and mocked they were not told yet when they must die nor where to keep them in uncertainty would only increase their suffering and that uncertainty lasted to the end it is nine o'clock at night they are taken to the river 
placed on a flat boat and conveyed to the Kentucky side. Within a hundred and twenty-five yards of the road, in a kind of sink or depression, the three doomed brothers are tied to pawpaw bushes. Around them stands the throng of bloodthirsty white savages, reared in the midst of a Christian country, and from which every year go missionaries and fortunes in money to foreign lands to make man better and rescue him from savagery. But somehow this region had been overlooked. Not one voice is raised in pity or favor of the victims, an unfortunate man, a youth and a child. The monsters dance about them in imitation of the Indian. They throw guns suddenly into their faces and howl in derision when the thus threatened prisoner dodges as much as the bonds which hold him will permit. Alex Messer now approaches closely to Famer McCoy and deliberately fires six shots into different parts of his body. This is not an act of mercy to end the man's suffering. No, he has taken care to avoid the infliction of any instantly fatal wound. Messer steps back, views the flowing blood and pain-distorted face, and laughs. Ellison Mount, supposedly the most savage of them all, now proves more merciful. He carries a long-barreled, old-fashioned hunting rifle. He throws it to his shoulder, takes careful aim, and blows out the brains of Talbert McCoy, who immediately before the shot fired had thrown his arm to protect the face. The bullet penetrated through the arm into the head. Only the little boy, Randolph McCoy, Jr., is left unharmed as yet. Will they spare him? Some favor his release, one or two demand it. But this idea is hooted down upon the ground that he is as guilty as the others, and even if he were not, now that he knew the assassin of his brothers, it would be utterly folly to leave such a dangerous witness alive to tell the story. "'Dead men tell no tales,' cries one of the heartless wretches, and impatient of the useless delay, approaches the boy and with a double charge of buckshot blows off his head. The entire band then fires a farewell volley into the bodies of the dead. We said the entire band. This is not correct, for one of the Hatfields had remained on the other side of the river. The Bible condemns murder, he had said, but this good man volunteered to stand guard and prevent any interference or interruption of the butchery. The foul deed accomplished, the murderers recrossed the river and entered West Virginia. Then Val Hatfield, the justice of the peace, this officer of the law, with solemn formality administered to the murderers the oath never to betray the name of a member of the band, even should death stare him in the face. What is an oath to such depraved creatures? There, standing on the banks of the river, surrounded by that throng of midnight assassins, in sight of the spot that bore the frightful evidences of the dastardly work, Val Hatfield commanded them to raise their bloody hands to heaven. 
each and all solemnly swore to stand by each other, never to reveal the secret of that night's work, asking God to witness their oath. What supreme blasphemy! After their return to West Virginia, parties who saw them and noted they were without the prisoners asked what had become of them. Val Hatfield reported with a smile that they had sent them back to Kentucky to stand the civil law. As soon as the assassination became known, the brothers and relatives of the dead untied the torn and mangled bodies, placed them in a sled, and conveyed them to their home. Have we exaggerated in the telling of this story? Let us see. Years afterwards, some of the assassins were brought to trial. During the hearing of the case against Val Hatfield, the West Virginia Justice of the Peace, Mrs. Sarah McCoy, the mother of the slain brothers, testified, I am the mother of Famer, Tolbert, and young Randolph McCoy. They are dead. They were killed on the night of August ninth, eighteen eighty two. I saw them on the Monday before that at Floyd Hatfield's while they were under arrest. The next time I saw them was over on Mate Creek in Logan County, West Virginia, at a schoolhouse. When I got there, Val Hatfield was sitting by them with a shotgun across his lap. I was talking, praying, and crying for my boys. While over at the mouth of Mate Creek, I heard Val Hatfield say that if Ellison Hatfield died, he would shoot the boys full of holes. Tolbert was shot twice in the head and three or four times in the body. Famer was shot in the head and ten or eleven times in the body, maybe more. The top of one side of the little boy's head was shot off. He was down on his knees, hanging to the bushes when they found him. Talbert had one arm over his face. Talbert was thirty-one, Famer nineteen, and Randolph fifteen years old. They were hauled home on a sled and buried in one coffin. When Val Hatfield was sitting by them with a double-barreled shotgun in his lap, the boys were lying on something on the floor tied together with a rope. I fell on my knees and began praying and begging and crying for my children. Someone said there was no use of that, to shut up. Then someone came in and said that my husband was on the way with a large party to rescue his sons. I told them that there was nothing of it. They said for us to leave. Tolbert's wife was with me. They said that if they were interfered with, my boys would be the first to die. End of section 3